Sasswood is a show about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, the hopers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit our Facebook page. This is Sasswhat, a show about Bigfoot. I am one of your hosts, Mark Matsky, and I am relieved to have with me again, joining me in Sasswhat Tower, high above Sasswhat City, Andy Matsky. Welcome. Hi. It's great to be back on Sasswhat. I missed it last time. I actually didn't even know you were posting that episode last time, so I looked on my phone, and all of a sudden, I'm talking on it. So, magic of copy and paste, it's it's amazing. The truth is that half the time, it's not even you. I'm just copying and pasting words in there that sound like Andy. What do you mean by that, Dad? <laughs> so, um, how willing are you to talk about what you did while you were gone. I will say what I did down there. I'm I'm willing to talk about it. All right. Well, so please do. What I where I was when I was gone. I don't believe if I if you said this on the show. I did not. But I was in Columbus, Indiana. Um, I was there for a funeral for a friend of my mom's. It was the dad of a friend of my mom's. Mm-hmm. And while we were there. I did some research on the Millrace monster, which is a local, a small town monster, so to speak. And the I'm sure we'll talk about it on a future episode. I'm sure it will be a whole full episode. And Grammy, I believe it was, actually asked me if that will be on Sasquatch Nation, Indiana. And the answer is probably so I'll go into detail. Well, the whole Mill Race Monster thing is, in short, I don't know why it's funny. In short, is, oh. in short, ha, ha, um, <laughs> is that in 1974, um, November 1st, in the Republic newspaper of Columbus, Indiana, reported about Two separate cars full of people seeing this creature that I believed was dubbed, I don't know if it was dubbed then or later, the Mill Race Monster. And so then there was more sightings and then eventually, which was probably just I think a week later, there was up to a hundred cars at Mill Race Park where this all was seen in, Mill Race Park is quite near downtown Columbus, Indiana. And you have a question? Yeah. Did you go there? Yeah. We went to Millrace Park. Okay. It's, we didn't, because I was researching so much, I spent a total of approximately three hours at their local library doing newspaper research. Um, I only spent about 45 minutes at the park because it was really cold too while we were there. Um, I, actually took some photos there, a lot of which aren't that good. But um I took some photos. It was so photos. It was so cold that I needed to wear gloves and you know me, I'm a very <laughs> Don't wear gloves lot. until I need to and my right. hands are really cold. Until the so, fingers are blue. Yes, and you put the pretty gloves much. On. So Millrace Monster in short, definitely we'll go into it later. Later being a future episode. Okay. You also did uh some book shopping. Oh, yeah. Um, I also bought 23, some, <laughs> about 23, uh, 14 books. About Probably, well, no, let's say about 15, 14 books. I also got some books on movies and stuff like that. 20-some books on, in my interests on this trip. And, they, and I, never pro- I probably never spent more than $10 on one book. So... $10, I think, was the most, and that was a hardcover of a comic. What are some of the books you are 
most excited to have acquired. Abominable Snowman Legend Come to Life by Ivan T. Sanderson. I'm really glad I got that, because the cool thing with that is, well, it's Ivan T. Sanderson, just for starters. Mm -hmm. But then I was reading about things that were reported in another book, originally in Ivan T. Sanderson's that book, in another book, which is A Menagerie of Mysterious Beasts by Ken Gerhardt. I I read that pretty much the whole time in the car on the way back. So, I, what else is another book I'm I really enjoyed? Um, the Sasquatch People by who? You say his name better than I do. Kiwani Lasperitis, I believe it is. I got that. Um, a really good book on Champ, the lake monster, and oh wow, I could just keep going. The was it? Is that the first printing or second of Bigfoot Casebook? Oh, that's first. First printing, first edition, of, yeah. first edition of Bigfoot Casebook. Because I'm a hoarder of crypto <laughs> books, and I, even though I have the second edition or whatever mine is, you know, I just I have to get. It's a matter of principle. Yeah, I understand um, completely. Kind of off from Bigfoot, I got New Mexico Curiosities because <laughs> mm-hmm. it was on clearance at a half price books. Can't pass that up for two or three dollars. Trying to think. I got, um, oh, what is that? Is it Invisible Residence? An Ivan T. Sanderson oh, yeah. book. Um, about underwater, about underwater, life underwater, like intelligent life underwater. And I believe that gets into UFOs going underwater. It might, it might. I'll read it. And, oh. A good book on Loch Ness, like an older trade paperback, which actually has some Loch Ness newspaper clippings in the back that are real newspaper clippings of the book. Did you see that? No. Yeah. Uh-uh. I was flipping through it on the way home, and I was like, what? <laughs> and, yeah. Another two other copies of Abominable Snowman Legend come to life, which were little trade, pa- trade paperbacks um, that were really cheap. Like $3, were they? Mm-hmm. No, two. Two. Two dollars. Two seventy-five. Two seventy-five. Crazy price. Yeah. It's a really cool cover. Like It's a really cool so. cover. It's like So it ended up being a crypto trip. It ended up being a crypto trip. What started as tagging along to a funeral turned into this awesome crypto road trip. <laughs> I had a I keep telling people, like at church, that I had a great time, and they're like but you went to a funeral. I'm like, right. well, yeah. Well, yeah, there was that. <laughs> they're no, heavy that, now. They're with God. <laughs> that's super cool. Um, I yeah, I'm I am excited to hear about Mill Race. It is Mill Race, right? Yeah, Mill yeah. Race. It's Mill okay. Race it took me about oh a week to get Mill Race down. I was from like Red Run, all these different Mill combinations, Red Mill Race. So I think you brought such a great stack of newspaper clippings home. Um, I'm pretty. That's sure, going to be a good yeah. standalone episode. I'm pretty sure I got every single newspaper clipping related to the Mill Race Monster, except the Indianapolis Star had a special, and I didn't have access to the Indianapolis Star where I was. So road trip to Indianapolis. Yeah. It was so cool. And shout out to Columbus, Indiana. Because I think they're ranked sixth on architecture. You're awesome, Columbus. And you and you have access to newspapers.com through your library, where it's the local papers for free, including to guests. If you're anywhere near Columbus, it's a blast. And they have a good book section. Yeah, go to Fort... And then go to Fort Wayne on your way back and... yeah. And Visit High Brothers Bookstore. Yes. No doubt about it. I hey, love books. guess what? What? We've got a letter. Awesome. And I would like to read it to you because a lot of it's directed at you. It's um, subject line is the Alabama episode. And this is from Ron. And Ron writes, hey, Mark and Andy, I've been a listener for a couple of years but haven't written in before. First of all, kudos to Andy for the concept of Sasquatch Nation. An excellent idea indeed. I particularly enjoyed the Alabama episode, although I've lived in Tennessee since 2000, 
I was born, grew up, and lived in Alabama for 44 years before that. I actually grew up about 15 miles from the Chocolaco area. Yes, you got the pronunciation correct, Chocolaco. It's a small community and wider geographical area in Calhoun County, Alabama. I also went to junior college in Wadley and lived there Lived near there for several years as well. Mark got the pronunciation right on that one, too. Wadley. Phew. Of course, when I lived in Alabama, a Sasquatch wasn't really on my mind. I'd seen Boggy Creek in the Patterson-Gimlin film, of course, and wondered about them, but never thought such a creature could exist near my home. I enjoyed the historical reports as well as the more current ones from the BFRO site. If I remember correctly, there was a highway sighting in my home county, Clay County, in 2014 as well. Just wanted to reassure you about your pronunciation and to say that Sasquatch Nation is a great idea. Looking forward to future episodes. Good luck with Hawaii, though. (laughs) And that was Ron. We've thought about Hawaii, and unless we come across some book that's like Bigfoot in Hawaii and it's like (laughs) four inches thick or something, we're probably going to go on like other Hawaiian legends probably is probably what we'll do i hope that's what we'll do if not maybe we'll just we're not going to skip hawaii i don't want to skip a single state mm-hmm. um and have we said when we brainstormed saswat nation mm-hmm. where yeah we got completely we told that whole story okay. about the fact that we were at the y the at the y yes i think that is established it's great i love that it's just thanks for saying i'm i really enjoy the feedback on the idea that people are enjoying the whole idea of Sasquatch Nation, which I th- I was hoping people would be writing in that not not that they liked it, but that they would be writing in regardless. So I'm just I'm super happy it's going good so far. Alaska's our next episode, Alaska. and Larry Beans Baxter is coming through big time for us, pointing us in the right direction of a variety of cases and source material so it's gonna be awesome i can't wait for the alaska episode to come out we are really excited to have with us tonight eric altman from the pennsylvania cryptozoology society and um, i could say a lot more but i think we'll just get into it in the whole context of our conversation tonight uh welcome to saswat eric altman well thank you mark and andy thank you for having me on the show i appreciate it oh yeah we're you know we're really happy to have you on and uh, congratulations on your coast to coast am appearance well thank you that was a lot of fun being on with dave schrader a couple weekends ago and talking bigfoot in pennsylvania it was a blast did you get a lot of uh comments on that and people texting and messaging you that you were on i did um i, I got a lot of uh, complimentary emails and text messages and messages telling me that they heard me on the show and enjoyed it and uh, a lot of nice compliments from people who i've never talked to before um just saying what a, a great interview it was and they really enjoyed hearing me on the show so yeah it was it was pretty nice to to get some complimentary uh feedback on it and you said that you have known dave schrader for a while right uh yeah i've, I've known dave gosh for um maybe about eight nine years now um I, I, it's been a long time since i've known dave that's cool so, Eric, can you tell us a little bit, um, you know, Sasquatch has sort of got a reputation for being a, like an entry-level show for people who are curious, but they don't know a whole lot about maybe the culture surrounding Bigfoot and cryptozoology. Could you tell us a little bit just about how you got interested in the subject and how you got to a point where, you know, you're on coast and you're hosting a, a pretty cool campout adventure and things like that? Um, this goes back to my childhood. Um, I grew up with a fascination of science fiction um, stories and, and TV shows and movies and uh, monster movies. I was a big fan of that when I was a kid. And um, I found in my, my junior high school library and my public library that they had a small section of paranormal books, magazines, um, newspaper articles, and stuff like that that I could try to learn about the subjects that I was interested in, the, the ghosts, the UFOs, um, the, the different types of creatures that were out there. And I really didn't have a set um, niche, so to speak, of, of something I wanted to follow um, until I, I found the library and, and found several books 
on, on Bigfoot. And as a matter of fact, you guys had mentioned one of the books you highlighted, uh, Marion T. Place's book, um, was one of the books that I found and was able to read and really enjoyed that book quite immensely. Yeah. But it, it was starting from that point that I began a, an interest and a fascination in all paranormal subjects. And uh, I was fortunate enough to see two films that kind of pushed me over to the Bigfoot side of things. And those were Legend of Boggy Creek and Creature from Black Lake. Oh, yeah. And after seeing those movies, I wanted to find out if, in fact, there was truly a, a hairy wild man running around you know, out there in the woods. And that's where I began um, starting to study, seriously study the, the Bigfoot phenomenon and, and taking in everything I possibly could from books, magazines, newspaper articles, and... Uh, you know, that was my starting point from there. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet Stan Gordon when I was about 13 years old. Um, Stan used to hold, um, I guess you called them displays, um, at our local mall when the mall was still there before they turned it into a Walmart. Mm -hmm. But every summer he would come out to the mall and have a display where he'd put out his Bigfoot castings, photographs of tracks, um, uh, reports, Bigfoot sighting <laughs> reports, UFO reports. Um, he even had something called Space Grass on display at the event. Oh, yeah. And I would spend my entire weekend just bugging him and, <laughs> and chewing on his ear and yeah. trying to learn as much as I could. And uh, from that point forward, when I was 13, we've had a, gosh, a 34-year friendship build off of that. So uh, I've known Stan for a long time. I would consider him my mentor in this, this whole field. But uh, I've spent from 10 years old to about 27 really educating myself, learning as much as I could about the subject. And uh, when I did turn 27, I decided to start going out and looking at these historical reports, going to these locations to see what the area looked like, to see if it was, in fact, a good place for a sighting to take place, you know, see if there was any validity to the sighting, trying to track down old eyewitnesses and talk to them. And I kind of, uh, from that point, began doing field work and investigating cases, um, going out and talking to witnesses, looking for evidence. Um, I've been through several uh, Bigfoot groups, including running the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society, which I did for about 14 years. Um, I left the group in 2014, and in 2016, I started a new group, the Pennsylvania Cryptozoology Society, which is a, a more broader look at cryptids rather than just a specific you know, the Bigfoot subject. And uh, I've been on a variety of, because of my work and, and studies, I've been on a variety of different talk shows, radio shows, newspaper articles, uh, movies, documentaries, TV shows. I've lost count of everything I've participated <laughs> in or been involved with. Yeah. But uh, that's how I ended up on Coast to Coast uh, because of my, my long, extensive work. So do you personally, well, what is one of your favorite Bigfoot reports? Great question. Um, it's a hard one to answer because there's been so many that I've either studied over the years or investigated myself or have um, been a consultant with. There's just so many great cases that I've looked into or, or read about. Um, I'd say historically, probably one of the most fascinating cases that, that I've ever read about um, is the Ape, Ape Canyon case from Mount St. Helens. Um, that's probably one of the most fascinating cases. Um, I'm sure you guys are f familiar with that, where the uh, supposed creatures attacked the cabin where the miners were, were staying in, and um, they had to fight the, they called them the mountain devils, had to fight them off, and, and uh, Fred Beck was involved with that. Mm -hmm. uh, that's probably one of my most favorite historical cases. Um, a case that I investigated, um, gosh, there's been so many. Um, I would probably have to say one of the most interesting cases I investigated took place in the summer of 2004 in a little town called Dubois, Pennsylvania, and, and it's in the western central part of uh, PA. It involved a mother and her son who lived in a farmhouse and had something coming around her farmhouse almost on a nightly basis, uh, terrorizing her dogs, um, stealing freshwater fish and clams from a little uh, man-made pond she had on the property, killing and eating her cats. Oh, wow. Yeah, we found the remains of several of her cats on the property. Oh, um, man. Up on the hill above her house. Um, we found several piles of, of deer bones that were scattered on a power line above her house. Um, we heard something large walking through the forest, 
at night when we were investigating and, and staking out the property. Um, we heard audio recordings that she had made when this creature would come around, um, and the, the sounds that it made were just bizarre. That's the best way I can really describe it. They were just really bizarre. Mm-hmm. It made the hackles on your neck stand up. Wow. Uh, the most significant part of that case that really intrigued me were the way the animals behaved. She had a, uh, a Doberman pincher and a beagle that uh, she left the beagle out on a runner and tied the uh, Doberman on the back porch on a chain. And when it started getting dark outside, these animals reacted, and uh, you could tell they were upset. They were afraid to be left outside. The beagle would pace back and forth very nervously and, like, it wanted to go in the house. Um, we even saw the remnants of how scared it was by looking at the back of the doghouse and seeing a part of the doghouse inside where it tried to dig through the floor to get underneath the doghouse. Wow. So yeah, there was definitely something going on on her property. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hung game cameras. Uh, we put up audio records. We were never able to catch any um, decent possible evidence, but the, the witness testimony, the recordings we heard, the behavior of the dogs that I witnessed personally was just convinced me that there was definitely something up there on her property going on. Hmm. Is that somebody that you've stayed in touch with? Do you know if that's been ongoing since your investigation? Well, interestingly enough, um, like I said, this was during the summer of 2004, and uh, a member of the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society that was uh, investigating this, he lived very close to Dubois. He lived in Clearfield, which is only about 15 miles from her home. He was keeping in, in very close touch with her, and uh, the last time we'd gone up was late August to, uh, to stake out her property and search the property and hike. And about two weeks after that incident, um, we got a call from uh, Scott saying, hey, the woman's gone. Her house is it's empty. It's vacant. There's a for rent sign out on the property, and they're not here anymore. Wow. And he wasn't able to find out from them if they moved out because of what was going on or right. was the reason was they left. They had just left two weeks after we had last been out to their property. Holy cow. Boy, that like, gives you chills almost, just to think about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Hey, I wanted to circle back to something that you were talking about earlier, and it's just the fact that Andy and I were geeking out a little bit when you were talking about Stan Gordon having stuff at the mall and what, what that would have been like just to be able to... Uh, see some of that stuff because i knew like the the would you call it space grass yeah yeah there's there's pictures of that in one of his books i remember seeing that but he had it there with him yeah he did oh wow he had a a very large display and i was so impressed with what he had he probably had about eight to ten tables in a semicircle around where he was set up and he had so many articles newspaper articles Eyewitness sketches, eyewitness drawings, the space grass, Bigfoot cast, photographs, so much stuff. And he had some of the, the members of his group at that time mm-hmm. that were on hand that were you know, talking to people at the mall. They would come up and share their stories and give him you know, the recent report or recent case or something that was going on with them. And it was such a, a cool thing to see. And I, I was actually fortunate enough back in, um, I think it was 1996 or 97, one of his last mall displays, he invited me to come out and participate and set up a small Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society table with him nice. at his event. So that was great. It was, it was so awesome to, to be able to <laughs> hang out with Stan at the mall and actually participate in something that I got to go to when I was a kid. Huh, no doubt. No doubt. That just makes me really happy to hear that story because our experience has been also that he's just super generous with his time. And, you know, he's always taken the time when we've seen him, and it's generally been at Monster Bash, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, just taking all kinds of time with us, and even recording with us right there behind his table, like as the show is going on, (laughs) and, you know, he's in his vendor's area, he's doing a little recording with us, so that, uh, that's just really cool. He's extremely generous, he makes it all um, worthwhile, you know, to be able to interact with people like that. generation that's getting involved with this i was so pleased to hear when i've listened to your show faithfully and hearing you and andy talk about uh, how he spends his time talking with you guys and encouraging andy to keep doing the research that andy's doing mm-hmm. that's great to hear mm-hmm. um 
it's he's a wonderful human being. I really enjoyed my company and my friendship with him, and, and I can't thank him enough for the influence that he's been on my life. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, don't forget, I want to talk to you about the creature from Black Lake. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, well, why don't we do that right now? Just because um, it, it's really, it's one of my favorite. I think it's like the Dark Horse Bigfoot movie for me of all time. Because not a whole lot of people know what you're talking about when you make reference to that film. But I just happened to catch it on an independent television station way back in the day and um, just love it. I just love that movie so much. Um, I think part of it is because of the humor. <laughs> you know, there, it really is a pretty funny Bigfoot movie with the Dennis Fimple character and all that good stuff. But it does some pretty uh, effective Bigfoot scenes as well. You know, they don't show too much. Yeah, I thought it was, for being a fictional movie, it's it's really a cool Bigfoot film for its time. And, and you're right, there is a lot of humor in it with uh, the drunken hillbilly, <laughs> um, I guess you call him, uh, oh, yeah. that uh, had his trapping partner killed at the beginning of the movie. Right. He's, he's a hoot. He drinks his moonshine and goes out trying to shoot the monster. Right. And, uh, he just shoots like, him out the back door. It's a fun movie. Yeah. But it's also very, for kids seeing it for the first time, especially when I did it, it was, it was pretty terrifying because some of the scenes are, uh, show a very aggressive Bigfoot, the mm-hmm. way it attacks the van and the camp and it ends up hurting the, the two main characters in the movie. And so it's a pretty terrifying film in its own sense too. Um, not just a funny movie, but, uh, Overall, I, I thought it was a great film, and it was pretty uh, cool for a young kid to see that, and uh, you know, to to want to learn how to you know, bigfoot hunt, especially after seeing this thing attack them at the the campsite. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's funny up to a point, and then it really gets suspenseful and pretty scary. And I like that switch, the way that that happens in that film. It took me years to see that movie all the way through. <laughs> years. <laughs> I don't even know if I'd watch it all the way through. <laughs> right now, I mean, it was it was scary. It's definitely that flip. Just you go what, and all of a sudden it's like the car, the vans being shoved, and it's crazy. Yeah, it was years. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the Pennsylvania Bigfoot camping adventure. Well, sure. Um, this is second year that I'm hosting this event, and for probably about eight or nine years, I hosted a Bigfoot conference in Pennsylvania called the the East Coast Bigfoot Conference, and it was solely a conference, much like the Ohio Bigfoot Conference, where Mm -hmm. we had speakers, and um, one day we'd have like a meet and greet uh, for people to come in and meet with uh, the Bigfoot researchers, and then the Sunday after, we'd have a, a driving tour around the local area where there have been Bigfoot sightings, especially around the Chestnut Ridge. So right. I did an event like that for about eight years. And then I decided to take some time off because hosting an event like that, organizing and planning it, takes a lot of work and a lot of money and effort to, to get something like that off the ground and, and to make it successful. And I was a little burned out on hosting this kind of event, so I decided to you know, kind of leave that to you, some of the other su- successful like the Ohio Bigfoot Conference and some of the other events that were going on. Um, and plus, it, at that time, it was starting to become pretty saturated with other events you know, all over the East Coast. So I took a step back, um, and when I was running the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society, every year I would have two or three public camping trips where I'd invite folks from the general public to come out, spend a weekend with other Bigfoot enthusiasts and researchers, and, and go out in the woods and see what it's like to, to do Bigfoot research. We gave them that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And last year, I thought, well, I've done the East Coast conferences. I've done the camping, the public camping outings. Why not put them together and see if I can do something with it? Because I've seen that there were a couple other groups in Ohio that were having some success with their, their Bigfoot camping adventure or the, the Squatch Fest that's going on over in Mohican, uh, forest, and, or the, the park over there, and they were having some pretty good success, so I figured, well, I have some um, experience hosting similar events, so why not try to combine it, but I wanted to do mine for charity, because I really have no interest in trying to make some money off of this. I thought, 
maybe if I could do an event that people would come to and enjoy, um, and we could raise some money from charities, we could do some good with it. So I came up with the uh, the concept of the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Camping Adventure, which is uh, this year it's, it's bigger than it was last year. Obviously, right. last year it was a one day event with uh, four speakers, uh, two workshops. Um, Seth came over and showed um, the Beast of uh, Whitehall, mm-hmm. um, which was very well received. Um, we had a cookout. We had some daytime and nighttime hikes um, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And people just loved it. They, they really seemed to enjoy the event. They enjoyed the chance to get out and, and hike some of the, the trails looking for Bigfoot. Um, they got to hear some great lectures. Stan was there last year. They got to enjoy his lecture and, and some of the others that were there. And people generally seem to have a good time but the most important thing is we were able to raise three thousand dollars for the charities that we were raising funds for that's awesome i was very pleased with that very pleased so um i wasn't going to do a second event this year but uh the overwhelming response from people saying well you can't you have to have another one (laughs) last one was so great we had such a great time you did it for a great cause let's let's try doing it again see if we can pull it off so i decided uh probably in august that i would um, start organizing the second the second event, and um, we were going to make it bigger, um, which we've done. We've uh, increased it to three days total instead of just two days. So um, there'll be three days of activities and, and a whole bunch of things for families that can come out. It's not just for adults; it's for for, for families and kids, and mm-hmm. everybody can come out and enjoy themselves. We've got uh, eight speakers this year: four on Saturday, four on Sunday. Uh, we've got four workshops that are taking place, um, two on each day. Uh, we've got a meet and greet in a town hall on Friday night where people can come out and share their Bigfoot experiences nice. or hear people share their Bigfoot experiences. Um, Seth and um, some folks from Small Town Monsters, hopefully you guys will be coming out um, to uh, show, they're going to show Boggy Creek, uh, yeah. the new Boggy Creek film. and. Uh, we're going to have a cookout. We're going to have a big, a big pizza party Friday night. We're going to do the hikes and, and walks again Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, and, again, we're raising money for three local charities in the Fayette County area. So uh, it's, it's for a good cause. Um, it's a great, like I said, for families, kids of all ages, adults, enthusiasts, uh, hardcore researchers, knowers, um, even the skeptics. <laughs> we had a skeptic there last year who came out, and uh, although he didn't, walk away believing in Bigfoot or even, you know, uh, accepting the concept, he walked away having a good time and really enjoyed himself. And he's coming back again this year. So Uh there's something there for everybody at the event this year that they can come out and have a good time. Yeah, the the stable of speakers I was really amazed at when I looked at the list. I mean, there there are some really big names in that list. How, How do you go about, you know, securing speakers for your event like that it you know because these are people that you know a lot of interested folks would come a long ways to see and hear i would imagine yeah um i've been very fortunate and very blessed over the years to network with and become friends with a lot of folks in the paranormal and the bigfoot community and when i did the event last year um i had asked four very close friends of mine that were local in the area. Hey, this is a charity event. I don't have a budget. Um, I'm just trying to cover expenses for the event. And if you want to come out and and lecture, you're certainly welcome to. We'll put you up in a campsite or if we can get you into a cabin, we'll get you into a cabin. I don't have a budget to pay speaker fees or fly people in from all over the country. Just can't do it with a a charity event. Mm -hmm. But I said, we're trying to help a couple of charities, and if you're interested in coming out, we'd love to have you. And last year we had Stan Gordon, uh, Brian Parsons, Steve Calls, and Dave Dragazin speak at the event. Mm-hmm. And it was a great turnout. We had probably close to 250 people show up for the first event. Um, when I advertised to do it this year, I had folks reaching out to me asking nice. if they could come and participate and be part of the event. That's and awesome. And I was, the people who reached out to me, I was just like, Sure, I'd love to have you come out. Yeah, and and I was very upfront, and honest with them, saying, you know, I I can't fly you in. Uh, I could give you some gas money, maybe if we you know, cover expenses or mm-hmm. put you up in a campsite or in a cabin. And they were okay with that. They were all on board with coming out because it's a charity event and realizing you know, we're raising money for three local charities. 
and I've been very blessed and very honored to have, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the list of people, as you see, coming out to speak at the event. We've got Stan Gordon returning, which is in itself, he's a huge name and a huge draw. Right. Um, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, um, they call her the queen of the paranormal, one of the biggest yeah. names in the paranormal community. Mm-hmm. And she reached out to me and asked if she could come wow. to the event and, and, and talk and you can't turn Rosemary down. No way. No <laughs> She's way. She's a wonderful lady and, and a dear friend. So we had her on board, and I had John Sable uh, contact me. He's going to be coming out to talk about his uh, trip to Boggy Creek during the filming of Legend of Boggy Creek. He was down there at that time looking into the no kidding. And stories that were going on. Wow. So he's going to share his experiences. Uh, David Weatherly, um, who's written the Woodnox uh, Volume 1 book, right. he's coming. Um, there, there's so many big names that are coming out for this event. Steve Calls will be back, uh, mm-hmm. Jay Pachochin, um, we've got Ron Murphy, Brian Parsons. There's so many wonderful people coming out to the event, and it, I'm just so blessed and honored to have these folks stepping in to want to help out these great charities. When is it this year? Uh, the dates of it are May 5th, 6th, and 7th, so the very first weekend of May. And it's taking place at a campgrounds in Fayette County uh, in Farmington, Pennsylvania. It's called Benner's Meadow Run Campground. And um, it's, it's a beautiful modern campground. Um, they've got all the facilities, electricity, running water, showers, public uh, facilities for everybody to use a really nice office slash convenience store on the campgrounds. Um, it's a beautiful campgrounds, and they have a huge pavilion and a field where we're going to hold the event at. So. That's when and where it's going to take place. And uh, the campgrounds were so excited to have us back this year, which was another plus. They mm-hmm. were just like, wow, we had such a great time last year. We can't wait to have you back next year. So wow. we've been very fortunate, guys, for everything to fall back in place again and for folks to to want to come out and not only attend but participate. And I've actually had to turn people away. Wow. <laughs> can't, have, can't fit them all in on the schedule, unfortunately. <laughs> That's that is cool. That is really cool. Well, I have to ask: um, Are there any sighting reports of anything in that immediate vicinity that you can tell people about? You know, like you're you're pretty close to something that has happened at some time. Oh yeah, within a mile of the campground, at minimum, there's been sighting reports. There have been encounters. Um, as a matter of fact, last year at the event, um, it was the Sunday following the event on May 10th, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, we had um, one of the members, one of the researchers who attended the event by the name of Jim Brown received a report from um, two people who had had a very close encounter with two creatures and uh, probably a few miles from the campground. And I think Stan actually talked about that, that case on your show when mm-hmm. it was on. Um, it took place um, just outside of Fairchance, Pennsylvania, and uh, these two witnesses were driving home late at night. It was very foggy, it was raining out, and they were driving on a backcountry road, and they witnessed a large creature or large animal come down off an embankment to their left. It crossed in front of the vehicle and continued on its path down the embankment on the right into a very heavily wooded area. And the two men were kind of shocked by what they they thought they saw, but they didn't get a good enough look at it to really see what it was. So they stopped the car, they got a flashlight out of the glove box, and they were proceeding to look down into the wooded area from their car to see if they could see what this large animal was that just walked in front of their vehicle. And as they were sitting there looking with the flashlight, movement caught their eye to their left, and that's when they saw an upright creature come down off the embankment. This is the second one that came down, but this one stopped in the roadway in front of their vehicle. And it just kind of stood there and was looking at them as they were looking at it. And long story short, um, they were a little nervous. They decided, well, maybe if we back up, it'll scare the, uh, the animal. It'll continue on its way, and we can head home. Well, the animal stood its ground, and they decided, well, maybe if we drive towards it, That'll spook it, and it'll continue on its way, and we can go home. Mm-hmm. The animal continued to stand its ground. It didn't move. Man. And eventually, they coasted up onto this animal and bumped it with their bumper <laughs> of their car. Yeah. 
And from that point, the animal leaned down and uh, put its hands on the dash of the, of the I shouldn't say dash, but the, uh, the hood of the car. Right. And looked in through the windshield and the dash at these two witnesses who were sitting there looking back at it. Holy cow. Eventually, the uh, creature turned and walked down the embankment and disappeared out of sight, <laughs> and that was the last they saw of it. Um, they uh, contacted Jim Brown, who was, uh, he lives not far from this, this two guys, and they knew him, so they contacted him. He went up to the area and uh, searched the area for evidence and, and tracks and any possible handprints on the uh, hood of the car. Unfortunately, due to the rain, there wasn't anything left. Mm -hmm. um, it was a pretty heavy rain, so it washed any signs of anything out of the area, you know, off the, the embankments or the, the woods on the right, and he found no handprints on the, the hood of the car. Um, he did report the, the findings to Stan, who, of course, Stan released it to um, his friends and colleagues. I got the report. Um, I talked to Jim. Um, unfortunately, as you guys are aware of, most witnesses don't have their don't allow their names to be released, so we weren't, weren't able to get their names to talk with them personally. But uh, from the location description that Jim gave from the witnesses, we were able to find the exact spot where this occurred. Um, we did find a very large game trail that did come off the embankment on the left, hmm. but unfortunately, by the time we got in there and the weather had passed through, we weren't able to find any physical evidence or footprints or signs of any large animal crossing the road. We could only find a large worn game trail on the left embankment. But it was probably the most recent case in the Fayette County area that happened in the last year. Hmm. That is just unbelievable. I mean, what a... You can't get any closer, can you? I mean, besides getting grabbed by one of these things, that is just amazing. And the, the fact that, you know, there's a trail that corroborates that. Um, I don't know. That detail to me just makes it a little extra compelling as well. Yeah, it's a very compelling report because I know of some pretty close encounter reports that have happened up in the Fayette County area, and that that, that portion is it's known, known as the Chestnut Ridge area of Fayette County. Right. There have been some very close sighting reports that have taken place where the witness has been within feet of another creature. Hmm. But I've never heard of one where a creature has actually walked up, put its hands on the hood of a car, and bent down and looked in the windshield at a, a witness or witnesses. That's no. the first time for me. Yeah. Yeah, me too. That's just remarkable. Um, well, as you know, Eric, there is uh, a lot of interest that we have and that Seth has in uh, Chestnut Ridge. You know, that's something that we've, over time, become you know more uh, knowledgeable about del you know largely on the strength of Silent Invasion, Stan's book. But um, you know the thing that I loved about listening to your your coast broadcast is that you know you what you bring to light is that weird stuff never stopped on Chestnut Ridge with the seventies um, right. and right down to the modern day. Are, are there some other reports that you? you know, or, or uh, find interesting you want to share with us that uh, kind of talk about the continued high strangeness of Chestnut Ridge? Oh, yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, there was a, a flap of sightings that took place in the Chestnut Ridge in 1973 and 74. And as you said, that's made it into Stan's book, the Silent Invasion book. And it's pretty well known um, in Bigfoot circles and even historians and, and people that lived through that time were familiar with that. But there was an, a smaller flap of sightings that took place in the Chestnut Ridge that I was personally involved with investigating cases. And that took place from 2009 through 2012. And it was just, a, for me as a researcher, it's probably one of the most active times that I've investigated cases where I was getting a phone call once a week and running back down to Fayette County, which is about 45 minutes uh, drive from me from where I live now, mm -hmm. I was running down there every couple days to talk to new eyewitnesses and, and investigate new cases and claims and um, you know, spending time out in the woods day and night looking for evidence. And it all kicked off on uh, July 10th of 2009 where a woman was driving, and this is going to be hard to believe. I find it hard to believe myself, and it 
just goes to show some of the strange things that happen in Fayette County, especially in Uniontown. But a woman was driving home from um, work, and uh, she was heading up North Connellsville Street through Uniontown, Pennsylvania. And the area is a very, um, it's a suburban neighborhood, but it's very populated. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of people out and about, especially at that time of the evening. It's a summer night, about 6.30. She's driving about 35 miles an hour um, down this very busy and very populated road through a neighborhood. And she's driving past this elementary middle school called Lafayette Middle School, and she happens to glance to her left and sees a figure running at a high pace of speed through the, the schoolyard towards her vehicle. And fearing that it's a kid or a teenager or even a, an adult running towards her, she didn't want to hit it, and it was running in a direct path that if she would have kept going, she would have hit it. So she put her brakes on, came to a, almost to a stop, and this thing leapt down off a retaining wall from the yard and into the roadway, and she thought for sure she was going to hit this figure. So she slammed her brakes on, and as the figure approached her car, she looked at her, her uh, driver window and could clearly see this was not a person. As she described it, it was about six and a half, seven foot tall, very thin and wiry, covered from head to toe with hair, and had a wild-eyed expression on its face like it was terrified. Wow. She thought for sure this thing, the way this thing was running towards her car, she, it was going to hit the front end of her car. But strangely enough, it didn't hit the front end of her car. She heard a thud, looked back in her rearview mirror, and to see this creature leaping over the trunk of her car. From that point, it ran into a Rite Aid uh, pharmacy parking lot, which she was pulled out in front of, continued through the parking lot, running down the roadway, and disappeared from sight. And she sat there pretty shook up by what she saw and what she just experienced. And I had a hard time comprehending a sighting taking place in a very suburban neighborhood, very urban neighborhood. Right. And um, even talking with her, she seemed very believable, but looking at the surroundings, I was kind of like, wow, this is really populated. How could something like a Bigfoot or any kind of creature be you know, running through this neighborhood and not be seen by anybody else? Uh, I did go into the Rite Aid uh, pharmacy parking lot to the store and talk to the manager and to a, a worker in there and asked them if they'd seen anything or caught anything on surveillance tape out of the uh, ordinary or unusual. And they said, no, we haven't seen anything. We haven't seen anything on the tape. But a couple weeks ago, we did see a couple large brown bear sitting in the schoolyard hmm. uh, right across the street from where we are. So, okay, if a brown bear is going to be there, why couldn't a Bigfoot? Sure. Wow. And, as the crow flies from where her sighting took place, it was about five, maybe four and a half, five miles from the Dumontville summit or the base of the Chestnut Ridge. Hmm. So they're within a pretty decent uh, space from where she had her sighting, or the distance from where she had her sighting to the ridge. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I started thinking about it. Well, maybe if this creature came down at night foraging for food or looking for food, it could have easily gotten stuck in a small patch of woods waiting to hide out and, and make its way back to the ridge. And it, it just when it, the, what it thought was the opportune time, and it wasn't. Um, but that first sighting in July of 2009 kicked off a wave of sightings that, as I said, I was down there at least once a week, if not every couple of days, talking to new witnesses. Um, case after case, I think we investigated close to 30, 35 cases over that three-year period Man. that uh, were coming in, and it was just unbelievable. They were coming from people from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, we even had a report filed with us from a uh, state police constable that he had a, a sighting um, one night up on the Chestnut Ridge. So pretty incredible time for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Were the sightings of of creatures, uh, was it sort of like a, a uniform look to the creature, or were they pretty much widely different? in the way that they appeared. Some of them were, were different, and there were a couple that were pretty similar. Um, we had uh, a woman contact us that uh, was, she's not originally from the United States. She was from the Netherlands. She just moved over to the United States and was living with her boyfriend at the time, and uh, they were living in the Uniontown area. And she was driving home from uh, the casino that sits up on the mountain and decided to take one of the back mountain roads home as a shortcut and she'd done it many times before. And uh, it's about 2.33 o'clock in the morning as she's driving down this road. And it's, it's 
there's mountain cabins and, and hunting cabins scattered along this, this mountain road. And she did see a vehicle in front of her, so maybe half a mile, a uh, quarter of a mile ahead of her. And she was watching this vehicle driving. And then all of a sudden, this vehicle made a very quick stop, a U-turn, and took off coming back at her in the opposite lane at a very high rate of speed. Hmm. She thought that was kind of odd, but she didn't really you know, think much of it other than maybe this guy forgot something, yeah. turned around and went home the other way. Uh-huh. Well, she continued driving, and as she was continuing driving, um, she saw this figure walking down the middle of the road, and it was um, just right in the middle of the roadway, and she got closer and closer, and her first thought was that this figure or this person was somebody wearing a fur coat hmm. and had a Halloween mask on. And she slowed down and came up behind this figure as it was walking, and it didn't move. She put her high beams on it and just continued to walk down the middle of the road. And um, she slowly, slowly came up on this thing, and finally this thing stopped, turned around, and instead of her hitting this thing, she kind of swerved to her left to go around it. That's when it bent down and looked in the windshield of her car as she passed it by, and she could see it wasn't a person in a Halloween mask or a fur coat. It was a large, hairy, hair-covered creature. And uh, she avoided hitting the creature, swerved around it, and she continu- continued driving down the mountain road at a very high pace of speed. She just wanted to get home and get away from it. Yeah. And that creature that she saw was also witnessed by several other people in the area throughout that three-year period. Okay. Um, received several reports and one of our members, Dave Dragazin, who's a uh, forensic sketch artist, drew the same description of what people told him, and that the, the drawings look almost identical. Hmm. What is it about um, Pennsylvania Bigfoot? It seems like they're not about to get out of your way. <laughs> <laughs> they're daring, I guess. They are. <laughs> <laughs> they, they like to. They just don't care if you're there or not. You know, it's that's that's a really interesting feature of these reports is that uh, they seem to go into places pretty boldly that you wouldn't expect. And like yep. this whole in the middle of the road, you know, I'm not going to move for you. That's I, I don't know that 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 suggests. I mean, like a a close group of creatures maybe, or like one who's just stubborn <laughs> or something. Yeah, it just, yeah. That's wild. We, we had a really interesting report um, that winter of 2009, 2010. Uh, a snowplow driver was driving through a little village called Dunbar, Pennsylvania, with his snowplow, and it had snowed pretty significantly. I think they had got close to a foot of snow, and uh, he was driving pretty closely, and as he was driving along, he saw a figure standing in a snowbank on the left-hand side of the road, and the figure was all black. He figured it was somebody in in a black hooded, uh, either like a a jersey hood or a black hooded winter coat wearing black pants. And he really didn't want to have an accident because he knows how bad the roads were, so he was driving at a slow rate to begin with, so he slowed down even more. And that's when this figure came down off the snowbank into the roadway and crossed in front of his truck. And the guy came to a complete stop, and this thing so close to his truck that as it continued walking, it literally stepped up and over his snowplow and oh. continued to cross the road and into the forest on the other side of the road. Wow. And he said this thing was, it, its head and shoulders were above the hood of his, of his snowplow truck, which we know those are pretty high up. So yeah. What it was was pretty tall. Yeah. What was the, you mentioned the constable's report. What was his like? Was it, uh, was it yeah, a, like... um, this guy, he was actually featured on the TV show Finding Bigfoot when they were here in Pennsylvania. Okay. And his case is, is pretty intriguing. Um, they were in the process of uh, building those uh, windmill towers, and I'm sure you've seen them throughout the country. Sure. They, they're very tall, very high, and they spin, and they, they create electricity. And uh, this area is... We call it the windmill construction site because that's where they housed all the the small office, uh, the trailer offices, and they kept all the equipment to build these towers. And his job as a state constable, he was working part-time. He was a supervisor of the night security team that would stake out this property because they didn't want people coming up and stealing copper or any of the parts on this property. And this windmill construction site sits 
way up in a very remote area of the Chestnut Ridge in Fayette County. And uh, being that it's so far out in the middle of nowhere, if they didn't have a security guard watching the place at night, anybody could come in there undetected and steal stuff and get away with it. So mm-hmm. they had the security team working there um, overnight, and he was the supervisor in charge of it. Um, it happened in the, uh, the late summer, early fall of 2011, and he had told me, he actually called me one afternoon, and we talked for about an hour on the phone, and he relayed his, his and his crew's experience of what they were hearing at this construction site. And keep in mind, this construction site, like I said, is in a very remote part of the, the mountain, surrounded by forests, ravines, uh, very hilly, area, hilly terrain, um, very thick, thick woods. And while he would be working at night, or his crew would be working at night, they would hear screams, howls, growls, wood knocks, all kinds of strange audible activity coming from the forest surrounding this this area, this uh, construction site. Mm-hmm. And it went on for several weeks, and when he called me, he finally had enough. He said, I, I need some answers. I don't know what we're dealing with. I first thought they were coyotes, but they, these aren't coyotes. These, these screams and howls are much louder, much longer, and they're not yipping or barking. They're just one solid, loud moan or, or yell. I'm trying to figure out what they are. I don't know what they are. Can you come up and research? And let me know. And I'm thinking, well, I know where you're at. I know the history of what's going on in that area. Yeah. Um, I know there's been sightings up there. And I didn't allude on to him that I knew what was going on, but mm-hmm. I told him I'd try to come up and, and help him get to the bottom of it. And that began a four-week investigation for our team. Um, we've talked to all the, uh, the security guards that work there. We heard all their stories from one. I felt bad for the one gentleman who told us a story of how he was in one of the Porta Johns. Um, on the uh, property at night by himself, and the Portage John sat under uh, one of the um, property lights, one of those big outdoor post, uh, post lights, mm-hmm. and he watched a huge shadow walk across the front of the Portage John while he was in it. Oh, and he man. thought that's kind of strange. There shouldn't be anybody here. And later when he checked with all his colleagues and the supervisor, nobody, in fact, was on the site. Wow. Watch something large walk by the front of it while he was in there. Jeez, um, yeah. But we got these kind of stories. We were hearing stories of the, the other guys corroborating the screams, the yells, the growls, the grunts, the wood knocks. And uh, when I talked to him about two days before we were going up there to investigate, um, he had told me about a sighting he had on the property. Um, he was sitting in his vehicle, um, and he was just monitoring the property. It was about 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. And uh, he was looking down towards the left corner of the property right near the, the road and saw a movement, and he thought maybe it was a deer or a bear because it was pretty low to the ground. And he watched this area near a light post, and something came up from behind this light post, and he watched it go from standing on all four legs up onto two legs. It began to play a game of peekaboo with him behind the utility board where they have all the, uh, the power boards and power supplies for all the local um, offices and you know the different equipment and different um offices and trailers they have up on that site that work site and this thing he said was standing behind the utility pole and there was a board there and he was watching it lean out and look directly at him and then slowly lean back in behind the board and it would do it several times before it turned and walked off into the darkness before he lost sight of it oh man that is awesome hey and you know what? I I feel like this could easily be a three-hour show. <laughs> Just having you tell me more reports and, like, one thing leads to another. But I think we should probably start to wrap things up here. But before we do that, I want to give you the opportunity to uh, just, if people want to get in touch with you or find out more about uh, the Campout Adventure or um, submit a report to you, how would they get in touch with you? Well, there's several ways to get in touch with me. Um, they can do so by going to my personal website, which is ericaltman.net. And there's a contact page on there. They can just reach out to me directly and um, email me through that website. I'm on Facebook, as you know, um, Eric H. Altman on Facebook. They can reach me there. Um, or they can go through our group, the Pennsylvania Cryptozoology Society. The website address for that is pacryptosociety.com. 
and uh, they can follow report that way or get in touch with me if they have questions or, or want to hear more about any of these reports that we've investigated. Um, for the event that's coming up on May 5th, 6th, and 7th, um, they can go to PA, for Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. pabigfootcampingadventure.com, and they can find out ticket prices. They can find out information about the events, all the speakers, uh, guests, guests, uh, special guests that are going to be there, workshops, um, everything that's involved in the event, uh, the charities. Now, I didn't mention the charities. Um, it's Unity, A Journey of Hope, uh, Lucky Paws Animal Rescue, and Fayette Friends of Animals. Those are the charities we're raising money for this year. They can find out all about the event there. Um, they can tune into my radio show. I do a pod, weekly podcast like Sauce What. Um, mine is called Beyond the Edge Radio, which, as a matter of fact, you're going to be a guest on coming up in April. Looking forward to having you and yeah. Seth and, and uh, the crew from the Small Town Monsters on to talk about your work and, and of course, your work now with uh, Sauce What and the new show. 